Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Save Coastal Wildlife. It's the podcast. And my name is Joe Reynolds, President and Executive Director of Save Coastal Wildlife. It's a wildlife conservation nonprofit dedicated to educating people about the preservation and protection of coastal wildlife along the famous Jersey Shore. And we're broadcasting tonight from Atlantic Highlands. It's a small bayside community along Sand Hook Bay right here in New Jersey. And the awesome music that you hear... The awesome music you hear right in the background is being generously provided by the band Apache Tomcat. It's an awesome band, ladies and gentlemen. They're out of Cedar Creek, Texas, and these guys are totally great. And if you're ever in Austin, Texas, and you find out Apache Tomcat is performing live, you should most certainly check them out. Head on out, see Apache Tomcat live. Otherwise, if you can't see them live, you can check out their music for free. That's right, for free at the Free Music Archive. Just search for Apache Tomcat. That's Apache, A-P-A-C-H-E, Tomcat, T-O-M-C-A-T, at www.freemusicarchive.org. That's www.freemusicarchive.org. Well, folks, it's finally here. Spring has arrived in the Northern Hemisphere. Feels good, right? The spring equinox took place on Wednesday, March 20th. And on that date, on the equinox, night and day are nearly the same length. 12 hours all over the world. This is the reason it's called an equinox, derived from Latin meaning equal night. We're gaining more daylight every single day. Days are getting longer. Nights are getting shorter. The sun is rising higher and higher in the sky. And air temperatures are slowly getting warmer. In fact, it was just 75 degrees the other day here along Sand Hook Bay in early April. It felt so good. Love is certainly in the air. Let me say that one more time. Love is in the air. And how do I know? Because many bird species of coastal wildlife are getting ready to mate and raise a family. One large bird, one particular large bird, um, sort of a large bird that you could see along the coast, it's an osprey. Some people might call it a fish hawk. Some people know it as a seahawk. Still other people might call it a, a river hawk. And why all the different names for this one bird? It's a bird of prey that loves catching and eating fresh fish. In fact, according to many wildlife biologists, fish make up some 99% of their diet. The osprey is the only hawk on the North American continent that eats almost exclusively on live fish. However, sometimes it's a little difficult to catch fish. Sometimes you got to go out and eat some other things, and that's true for ospreys. Ospreys have been observed feeding on sometimes dead fish, Um, snakes, mice, squirrels, muskrats, and sometimes even small little salamanders. Birds got to do what a bird's got to do, ladies and gentlemen. Usually around St. Patrick's Day, however, sometimes earlier, sometimes later is when ospreys start showing up around the Jersey Shore and near Harbor. Just like clockwork, fish hawks or ospreys return to begin raising a feathered family near beaches, boardwalks, boats, four-lane highways, towering skyscrapers, suburban sprawl, and speeding trains. Sure, much of the Jersey Shore and near Harbor is in pristine wilderness. 
far from it. But the reappearance of ospreys is one of the great natural wonders to watch for every single spring. When birds arrive, they often look a little ragged and exhausted. And you know what? It's for good reason. Migration is never an easy task. Ospreys migrate as individuals, not in flocks. They leave one by one from wintering grounds in Central or South America. A recent study published by Mark S. Martell, M-A-R-T-E-L-L, and others from a 2014 edition of the Journal of Raptor Research shows that many of our East Coast ospreys winter in South America with smaller mounts in Florida or on the Caribbean islands. As spring approaches, ospreys who winter in South America, they have to make a long-distance journey past the Gulf of Venezuela to briefly rest in either Haiti, Jamaica, or Cuba after an overwater crossing between 400 and 700 miles. It is a tiring flight that typically takes 27 to 40, 40 hours to complete and involves some risky nighttime travel that they have to worry about planes, tall buildings, and running into power lines. Once across the Caribbean Sea, however, nearly all ospreys will cross Cuba to the Florida Keys and then northward to breeding grounds. It's an amazing journey, ladies and gentlemen, that normally takes two to three weeks from start to finish. But once ospreys are here, once they arrive to New Jersey, they tend to head straight to the same nest they used last year. They reuse nests. They reuse the same nest as last year, just adding some new sticks, moss, and other material each season. The spring courtship for fish hawks begins a five-month period when they'll raise a family and the next generation of ospreys along the East Coast. Many people, including myself, sometimes will like to take bets, uh, bets on the date and the spot for the first osprey sitting of the year or the first osprey sighting of the year, I should say. Everyone loves to watch this bird because of its power, its size, its fishing ability. Check this out. Ospreys make a catch 75% of the time. That is truly an impressive success rate for a predator, let alone a bird. Think about if you know anybody who likes to go fishing. How many times do they catch a fish? Not all that often, right? If they were catching a fish 75% of the time, they would be one of the greatest fishing people of all time. And that's exactly what ospreys are doing. Herald by every birder, wildlife watcher, and outdoor enthusiast, the first sight of an osprey means winter is fading away and spring is slowly on its way. More importantly, ospreys are valuable, uh, valuable indicator species for monitoring the long-term health of an estuary, bay, or a tidal mouth of a large river where fresh water meets and mixes with ocean water. Since an osprey's diet consists almost entirely of fresh fish, usually flounder, herring, menhaden, or bunker, or bluefish, uh, an abundance of nesting ospreys along the coastline or along an estuary, well, that's going to suggest that water quality and fish populations are improving to support many hungry beaks and gizzards. The good news is that in New Jersey, ospreys are thriving. They're doing pretty well, ladies and gentlemen. In 2018, a population study of ospreys in New Jersey by Benjamin Wurst from the Conserve Wildlife, uh, Wildlife Foundation of New Jersey and Kathleen Clark from the Endangered and Non-Game Species Program of the uh, New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife found that ospreys are doing really, really well. There was an incredible number of 589 nests, uh, active nests, that were surveyed. 589 nests that were surveyed. 
The majority of the population of nests that were found was located along the coast. 500, over 500 of nests were located along the uh, Atlantic coast. Next was Delaware Bay and its tributaries. About 78 nests were located there at 78. There was around 45 nests documented along Raritan Bay and Sandy Hook Bay. This is an incredible story because at one point in time, you couldn't find any ospreys or had a hard time finding any ospreys in these locations. But today, the average statewide productivity rate for uh, for ospreys is about 1.82 young per nest, which is very close to what was found in 2017. That was 1.72 birds per nest. And in 2016, which is 1.78 birds, young birds per nest. And then there was a record-setting 932 young that were produced in 2018. It's the highest number ever recorded in New Jersey. And so it looks like ospreys are doing pretty well, right? A total of 387, that's uh, 42% of those young, ne- uh, young ospreys were banded with aluminum leg bands for future tracking. And also the big news in 2018 was a 17-year-old osprey spotted um, in the spring, returning to the same nest area along Delaware Bay. It was an amazing sight to see a breeding age osprey that was living for over 15 years in New Jersey. Totally incredible. Things seem to be doing really, really good for ospreys. And you have to step back for a moment and just realize where we came from. Because for a long time, during the 50s, 60s, 70s, even for a good chunk of the 1980s, it was just really hard to find and see any ospreys at all. Ospreys were really not always so plentiful in New Jersey or really anywhere. And it was due to a nasty man-made chemical called DDT. DDT nearly wiped out these beautiful birds. DDT was first created in 1874 by an Austrian student, but he had never received any particular attention for DDT. It wasn't really until 1939 that Dr. Paul Hermann Mueller Dr. Paul Hermann Mueller, a chemist from Switzerland, discovered that DET was extremely effective in killing insects. And there he goes. This is where it starts. This came to the attention of American and British military authorities. DET was first used as an insecticide during World War II. That's World War II, <laughs> when it was used to kill mosquitoes. Dr. Mueller, because it worked so well, he received the 1948 Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for his 1939 discovery that insecticidal qualities and use of DT in the control of vector diseases such as malaria, yellow fever, and other illnesses that were killing many people uh, around the world. Sounds like a good thing. But after the war, both Dow and DuPont chemical companies praised DET as a miracle chemical that could bring people out of the dark ages when it comes to controlling insects. It was introduced for wide agriculture use in 1945 to help control insects that damaged crops, but also used extensively in coastal communities along the Jersey Shore in places like Barnegat Light, Cape May, and Point Pleasant to control mosquitoes, and even inland. Uh, like places like Freehold, uh, where there was lots of farming taking place. Unfortunately, what Dr. Mueller and scientists at Dow and DuPont Chemical Companies at the time didn't know or understood was that DET was not only killing insects, it was killing birds. 
DET didn't break down over time in the animals that ingested DET. Every time an animal ingested DET, that chemical, that DET, just continued to build up and up and up in the animal. Accumulation of DET leads to biomanification. And biomanification is a big word, but all it really means is when the amount of a substance is found in animal at the bottom of a food chain, it accumulates higher and higher up in that food chain at higher and higher levels in an animal. So for a bird of prey, like a bald eagle that's top of the food chain, like a bald eagle, an osprey, or a peregrine falcon, when they're going to eat lots of fish that ingested insects with DET, they now have more DET in their system than any of the animals that ate because its body had stored the DET from all the animals that it ate. It accumulated right up the food chain. As a result, DET made it more difficult for birds like bald eagles, peregrine falcons, and uh, pelicans, and ospreys to absorb calcium. And the lack of calcium made their eggshells thinner. And many eggs broke as mother bird was sitting on the egg to incubate and keep it warm. It just broke before they could even hatch. And because ospreys typically lay only one to three eggs at a time, losing one or two or three eggs due to shell thinning had a dramatic impact on their populations. Following the use of DET, osprey populations in New Jersey plummeted Prior to the 1950s, the osprey population in New Jersey was estimated at 500 pairs. In 1950, there was only 253 nesting pairs along the Atlantic coast of New Jersey, south of Barnicut Light. By 1975, only 53 pairs remained in this area, and a total of only 68 pairs remained statewide. And in Sandy Hook Bay and in Raritan Bay, where I live, there was no ospreys nesting at all in the 1970s. It wasn't really until Rachel Carson, an author and a former biologist with the Borough of Fisheries and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, she was really the first person to bring the hideous effects of DET to the public. In 1962, she published a book, Silent Spring. It's a great book. Go out and get it and read it. If you haven't read it already, please do. It is a fantastic book, still current and and worthy to read today. Silent Spring told us about the harm pesticides were doing to wildlife, specifically to birds. The name Silent Spring comes about because if if it's DTs wiping out or all these chemicals are wiping out, our overuse of chemicals is wiping out birds, we're going to be having a very silent spring. Thankfully, people took this to heart and we started doing something about it. In her book, Rachel Carson asked that federal research be conducted to ensure that pesticides were used safely. President Kennedy called for the Department of Agriculture to conduct research and congressional hearings were held. Studies were ordered and DET was banned from being used in New Jersey in 1968. Federally, DET was banned from being used in the United States in 1972 by the Environmental Protection Agency. But it didn't take until all the way in 2001 for the United Nations Stockholm Conventions on Persistent Organic Pollutants that set in place a global ban on the use of DET for agricultural uses. All sounds good, right? All sounds great now for ospreys. 
But the story doesn't end here, ladies and gentlemen. DT was banned from being used in the United States of America, but ospreys were slow to return due to the lingering effects of DT and the loss of habitat. Because between 1950 and 1980, where osprey populations were declining because of DT, guess what was happening at the same time? The human population along the coast increased dramatically, gobbling up prime nesting habitat that was used in the past for ospreys. Ospreys, what they need to nest in is wide open areas like wetlands. Ospreys used to love to make a nest in dead trees within a wetland area, but largely due to sea level rise and human development along the fringes of wetlands, many dead trees along the water have vanished. And a nest, it needs to be away from predatory animals such as raccoons and predatory birds like great horned owls that will steal their eggs and gobble them up for food. Ospreys also need to nest near shallow water since they're unable to dive more than about three feet below the water surface to catch a fish with their talons. There must be also be plenty of fish within a maximum area of about 12 miles from their nest. So as a result of build-up coastal communities and towns along the Jersey Shore and the draining of wetlands for road construction and development, there was really hardly any good places for ospreys to, to nest or to make a nest or to find a place to nest. Thankfully, though, thankfully, federal wildlife biologists, nonprofits, and volunteers all along the coast were starting to put up artificial nesting platforms for ospreys to nest in wetlands and in estuaries. In New Jersey, they took one extra step. The osprey was one of the first species to be included on the New Jersey Endangered Species list when the New Jersey Endangered Species Conservation Act was passed in 1974. With this came the establishment of the New Jersey Endangered and Non-Game Species Program. And in 1979, that program began an osprey reintroduction program in which biologists transplanted eggs from healthy nests in Chesapeake Bay into active but unsuccessful nests in New Jersey, including in Sandy Hook Bay. Altogether, the ban of chemicals like DET and the installation of nesting platforms in safe areas have allowed osprey, uh, osprey populations to rebound not only in New Jersey, but just about everywhere along the eastern seaboard, from the Gulf of Mexico to the Gulf of Maine and to the Gulf of St. Uh, Lawrence. It is a great story to be told over and over again. And even around New York Harbor, once one of the most polluted bodies of water in the world, the water is getting better, the water is getting cleaner. How do we know? Osprey numbers have increased and nesting pairs around the harbor are now numerous, including places in Jamaica Bay and Staten Island. In fact, the Jamaica Bay National Wildlife Refuge in Queens was one of the earliest sites in New York City to see the return of nesting ospreys after DET had been banned. But just because DET has been banned and people are putting up nesting platforms doesn't mean life has become any easier for ospreys. In fact, ospreys still have many dangerous issues to deal with here in 2019. Check out migration, for example, whether it's spring migration or fall migration, weather can pose a real problem, especially when crossing large bodies of water like the Caribbean Sea. The birds can be blown off course or get caught up in severe thunderstorms. This drains fuel and fat and puts an osprey at risk of being too weak to continue. Then they have to deal with people shooting at them. 
humans shooting at ospreys is another major problem. This happens when an osprey is hungry. Maybe it's been blown off course a little bit. It wants to refuel, build up its fat reserves. So guess what? It looks and finds a fish farm, a private or a commercial fish farm in places like the Dominican Republic, Haiti, or Cuba. These are many poor farmers, and they don't take kindly to someone, even a bird, even a fish hawk, stealing a fish. And so out comes a gun shooting at fish hawks. If an osprey can survive that, the osprey can survive a trip, he or she will hopefully be greeted with its partner. Ospreys, they mate for life, as far as we know. But they go their separate ways each winter. Mates do not see each other until they return to their nest in the spring. It would be a very rare occurrence if a pair ended up in the same wintering location. But when they come back in the spring, one osprey comes a little bit earlier than the other. Sometimes, though, sometimes an osprey won't come back at all. In general, ospreys mate for life, right? And so when an osprey comes back from the winter uh, to, to their nest site in the spring, right? The osprey is going to come back. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start repairing the nest. If the nest is still repairable, if not, it's going to build a new nest someplace nearby and it's going to wait for its partner. That sounds great, right? It's going to wait for its partner to show up and they're going to raise a family together. But what happens if that partner never shows up? What happens if that partner, maybe it died of natural causes. Maybe it got shot at. Maybe it got injured. Who knows what happened, right? And so if a partner never shows up, that osprey eventually, after maybe a couple of days, a couple of weeks, it's going to find a new partner. That doesn't sound too bad, but... Here's the catch. What happens if that osprey, the other osprey that was just a little bit late, what happens if maybe it showed up late and uh, the other osprey couldn't wait any longer and found a new partner? That happens occasionally and fights ensure. And so all of a sudden now you have fighting over osprey nests and partners and it's never really ever a good scene. So, and sometimes ospreys are late because they get injured, they get blown off course, uh, they can't find enough food, things happen. Um, and so, ospreys might be showing up late to nest and have to fight for their partner. Yet, ospreys, I should point out, are remarkable, adaptive, resilient birds. With residential development taking place all along the coast, ospreys have taken to some less natural nesting places, including utility poles, cranes, chimneys, and other elevated man-made structures and objects. And their preference for building nests on top of power and telephone poles and other man-made structures have resulted in power outages, transformer fires, and in some cases, electrocuted birds. Last year, the New York Department of Environmental Conservation received 99 reported complaints, with the majority being on electrical utility and telephone poles in the St. Lawrence River area. Other complaints had come from areas such as Lake Champlain and along the Hudson River. Also, ladies and gentlemen, probably the worst thing to happen to an osprey is plastic and fishing lime. Ospreys, which generally like to line their nests with sticks and reeds, and natural fibers have developed a habitat 
uh, the habit, I should say, of picking up human fishing debris, such as strands of monofilament and discarded fish nets to use to line their nest. The monofilament and fish nets can easily entangle an osprey. It can entangle their large feet. It can entangle their beaks. Ospreys need their feet to survive. They need their beaks to survive. Their, their, their feet is what they use to catch their fish. Without the proper use of their feet, ospreys typically starve to death. During a 2018 osprey population in New Jersey, the presence of plastics was documented throughout most survey areas. Along the New Jersey coast, plastics collect along the edge of tidal salt marshes, beaches, and high marsh areas. These are the same areas where ospreys collect nesting materials. Ospreys, especially the young, can easily be entangled in string, ribbon, monofilament, rope, twine. They could be suff uh, suffocated by plastic. There are so many dangers now because of plastic and our trash and our litter and our debris. Um, there's also plastic bags that can get in the nest as well. There could also be balloons, a balloon material that can get in the nest and can strangle birds as well too. Uh, all this can be found in the salt marshes and wetlands. And in these salt marshes and wetlands, it's often hard to distinguish from synthetic and natural materials. Eelgrass looks like white balloon ribbon. Sea lettuce looks like white single-use plastic bags. Ospreys simply use this material as it, as it becomes more and more abundant. Almost all nests in New Jersey contain some type of plastic nowadays. In 2018, last year, a few young ospreys need to be rescued and untangled while several more are found dead from being entangled in monofilament or plastic line. And now, just recently, we have to worry about drones as well too. These unmanned aerial vehicles, people like to use them to take pictures and uh, get a nice view of coastal areas. Well, sometimes people use these drones to get too close to osprey nests. This annoy ospreys and, and scares them. And sometimes if they get too scared, they might abandon a nest with the young still in there. And so we need to be careful when using drones to make sure we don't get too near uh, any any type of nest, ospreys, bald eagles, peregrine falcons, whatever, we need to keep our nests at least a thousand feet away from any sort of active bird nest so we don't do damage. So it's not easy being an osprey in New Jersey. And you might be really depressed now thinking, my goodness, what can I do to help ospreys? Well, here's a couple of things you can do. So these are really low-hanging fruit, simple things that we could do and, and really things we should be doing already. So we should already be helping to restore our shoreline, the habitat along our shoreline, right? We should be looking to, to do cleanups and to make sure our, our wetlands and our waterways are nice and clean. We, we should be recycling our fishing line and, and reducing and reusing as much as our trash and litter as possible. We should be providing safe nesting platforms. If you ever get an opportunity to put up a nesting, a nesting platform, please help those people do it. Um, it's not an easy task to do, and it takes a couple people, five, six, maybe 10 people to put up a nesting platform, depending on how tall that nesting platform is. 
If you can, if you get the opportunity, try being an Osprey monitor uh, for the state or for a county wildlife agency. Uh, we need people out there to go and, and to monitor these osprey nests to make sure uh, people aren't harassing the ospreys, to make sure the ospreys are healthy, they're doing well, their young is healthy as well too, they're not getting tangled up into plastics. So we need people to volunteer to go out and monitor osprey nests. And then, real simple, is just keep our environment nice and clean, right? Do cleanups with family and friends. Uh, I know many people, including myself, every time we go out to a beach, to a wetland, if we're doing any bird watching or any wildlife watching, we always bring a plastic bag with us and we put trash in it. And uh, we really shouldn't, we shouldn't have to pick up other people's trash, but unfortunately sometimes people are just not thinking or I don't know what's going on, but they're just throwing their trash on the ground and that impacts wildlife habitat. So if we could just keep our environment clean, our estuary clean, our coastline clean, that would be really great, right? Just reduce, reuse, recycle. Reduce the amount of trash, reuse your trash, and if you can't reduce, reuse, then recycle it. So the return of osprey populations to New Jersey, New York, and the East Coast of the United States, it's a remarkable comeback story. It shows that humans are able to restore the damage that we've done to nature and wildlife, yet the damage is not done yet. Don't give up. There's still more work to be done before we can say to ospreys that there are no longer any threats by human actions. Thank you for listening to Safe Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. My name is Joe Reynolds, president of Safe Coastal Wildlife. And until next time, stay forever wild along the coast.